This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 190. Freddie Jackwin on hypnotherapy. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. This is a conversation you're going to want to listen to several times over. Hey, it's Jason Lynette here on the program and excited to have Freddie Jackwin on the program. His son, Anthony Jackwin, was a previous guest on this session and getting a chance to actually meet Freddie in person for the first time back at HypnoThoughts Live 2018. And through the wonders of time travel or batch producing this program, we actually recorded this prior to the UK Hypnosis Convention, uh, got to hang out in person. I'm saying this before I even leave for the UK Hypnosis Convention and airing it afterwards. And the number of knowledge bombs, the number of educational nuggets inside of here, and just some incredible stories of hearing somebody who's really been a worker in this profession for quite some time. And really one of the most interesting aspects I'd sort of highlight here is that creative mindset, how it is we go about crafting new strategies, how it is we are in the moment with our clients. And uh, as he'll as he'll tell the story, finding ourselves sometimes in situations that we don't quite have a solution in the can ready to produce. So an amazing conversation here. I'd highly recommend head over to either Amazon and pick up Freddie's new book, Hypnotherapy, or you can even head over to Audible and actually purchase the audio version of the book too. Also, while you're on the web, check out hypnoticbusinesssystems.com because it's one thing to have a lot of really effective strategies in terms of helping your clients, yet those techniques are even more effective when there's a client actually in the chair. And Hypnotic Business Systems is where I chronicle my entire library of what I've done to build a multiple six-figure hypnosis business, as well as how I scale my business up year after year. We also recently uploaded my entire Las Vegas training hypnotic products into the Hypnotic Business Systems program. Check that out, hypnoticbusinesssystems.com. Get access for just $47. So let's jump directly into this phenomenal conversation. Take some notes, grab the book and read along. This is session number 190. Freddie Jackwin on hypnotherapy. Um, I do believe it's an altered state, but I believe it's a natural state. I believe it's sort of a nature's gift. It's, um, you know, my boys play um, video games, and in most of these video games, is a glitch. If you know where it is, you can access different areas. And I think uh, hypnosis is like that natural glitch that we have. We don't, not everyone knows how to get to it. But if you can get to it, then it gives you an advantage on how we can control our emotions, how we can alter our state, how we can change behavior. It, that's my best way of describing it, really. I think it's a natural ability. You know, I used to say, I used to say it was a natural phenomena, but mm -hmm. I now believe it's just a natural ability that if we can access it, then we can change those underlying programs that we have, habitual behaviors. And as a hypnotherapist, I believe that what we do as an operator, if you like, we act as a catalyst to help people find, find, that, find that glitch, you know, find, find that ability that they have within them. So that's how I see it, really. Yeah, I appreciate the phrasing that it's a glitch that we can make we can take advantage of we can put to use as opposed to being a glitch which is just a mistake just a problem but the same way that uh, i love the video game metaphor that we can uh, use it to this advantage to play the game a little bit better finish the level a little bit faster uh, what was that thought process to take it out of the definition from phenomenon to just state because i think you know i used to think that people came to see me with um with a problem, and as a hypnotist, you know, ha having that ability to, to hypnotize someone, I would hypnotize them. They'll tell me what they wanted to do, what they wanted to stop doing. I'd hypnotize them, and then I'd I'd tell them what they wanted to do, or make them do what they wanted to do, or stop doing what they wanted to stop doing. I now actually think that we're actually already in trance, and I think people come to see me; they're already in trance, albeit negative, um, stifling trances. Um, and what I actually do. One pointed out that they are already in a trance and then take them out of that trance and leave them, if you like, in a positive trance. So I look at it a different way around now. You know, I think that for me, the way 
I see hypnosis and I explain it in my book. If you want to hypnotize someone, I say it quite simply, create an emotion and then give a suggestion. Now, that's how I see it. If I can make you, if I can change your emotional state, if I can make you laugh, then I can influence you. If I can make you um, cry, I can influence you. So if I can change your emotion, and for me, that's quite simple. If I ask you to think about your children and I think about, think about the love you have for them, when you're accessing that feeling, I've altered your state. That If I then say, you know, and you're going to feel better, then you probably will. because, And that's how simple I see it to be. So if you think about that, take that to our everyday walking about world. You know, people are make, altering our states all the time. They make us angry. They make us sad. You know, make us happy. And we are being influenced and we're being hypnotized every single day. That's what advertising does. You know, you're sitting at home, it's a miserable evening, and you see some guy on a white horse riding across the desert. He jumps down and he's got a box of Cadbury's milk tray. (laughs) And they've altered your state because you're thinking about that sunshine and everything else. Then you're walking through the supermarket, and for whatever reason, you think you see a box of Cadbury's milk tray, and you suddenly think that feeling, and it just you end up picking it up without realizing. So we're being influenced by having our emotional state changed all the time. So, you know, let me put it this way. Say, say, uh, and I'll say woman because, you know, a woman's at home and she's looking after her kids. She's having a good day. Her husband comes in, you know, and if he, 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 he makes her, he upsets her by saying something. He's had a bad day. He upsets her. And then he says something detrimental. You know, you're not any good. That happens enough times. Then that person's going to start to believe what's being said in the same way as when we hypnotize someone and we say, you know, your body's made of marble and you can't move. And for whatever reason, they can't move. It's a stuck state, but it's no more a stuck state than someone who says, I can't quit smoking or I can't lose weight. That's just a belief. And it's probably a belief that's been created by someone else in an emotional state. So that's how I see it really. It's much more simple than we try and often make it out to be. You know, hypnosis for me is very simple. It's going on all the time. We just have an understanding of how to do it consciously. We're doing it unconsciously anyway with our kids, with our family, with people we work with. It's just for me, as I said, I've learned how to do it consciously. Um, and that's how, that's how I see it. It's very simple. Alter someone's state emotionally and give them a suggestion. That's as simple as it is. Is that something that came about by necessity, let's say by doing it in a more, much more technical way where we have different schools of thought which would say here's this model of hypnotic depth or you can't use this technique unless you see these various signs are there um where, where did that come from yeah i mean i i you know i learned this in the early 90s and of course you were looking for facial you know the plasticity of the skin and the eye movements and body language and language patterns and you know, <laughs> we all of that stuff which we learn and we think it's important, you know, environment, you know, sounds in the room. It, some people even put music on behind people. It seems to relax them. We used to think it was relaxation, you know, but as my son Anthony would say, it's not a state of eyelids. You know, <laughs> we now know, and I do it, what's happening to us all the time, but now I know I do it in my therapy room. I, I hypnotize people and have their eyes open and looking at me, and they think, well, am I hypnotized, except for the fact they can't move their arms or, or whatever it is. Well, I can't feel the, the fear. You know, that's the only difference. It's not, we're walking around hypnotized all the time with our eyes open. And so we all of that stuff we first used to learn in the 90s, you know, and we're looking and, and concentrating on language patterns and depth, which is another fallacy. You know, how deep do they have to be to change? You know, one of my favorite quotes, it was an Erickson quote. Someone asked him about how deep someone should be to achieve this change in their life. And, and I love what he said because I say it now myself. And someone ever asked me how deep do you have to be? I say deep enough. Mm-hmm. They're Erickson's words. They're not my words. Deep enough. You know, any, any communication, and then you're a fantastic communicator. I listen to, you know, you know you're one of the best voices on the circuit. And you can hold a room with your conversation, your communication. Now, for me, if you're communicating like that and everyone in that room is focused on what you're saying to the extent that everything else becomes periphery, the sound of the air conditioning, the noises outside the room, because they're fascinated by what you're saying and the way you speak and the way you act, 
then to some level they're hypnotized and and that's why you can influence and that's why good narrators you know people churchill kennedy you know they could hold an audience and they could make people they could influence mass crowds of people because if you can fascinate people if you can hold them with your voice and with the content of what you're talking about to some level they're hypnotized it's not oh, i'm going to now close your eyes and i'm going to say these words and i'm going to change my voice no if you can fascinate if you can get people concentrated on what you're saying to some level they're already hypnotized and you can influence no we're just doing it formally with a bit of ceremony you know now i'm going to hypnotize you but in reality i i'm sure it's the same for you when we do what we call a pre-talk, which is a strange thing to say, really, because, you know, pre-what? Pre-hypnosis. Um, if, if you engage your client at that point, most of the work you're going to do is done before you even say, are you ready to be hypnotized? You know, because you already explained to people, one, their importance. I mean, I, for me, the bottom line when I'm working with people what I want to achieve in every therapy session, whatever people come for, I don't care what it is, what I want them to go out of their feeling and understanding is their worth, their true value, their true worth as a person, as a father, as a mother, as a brother, as a sister. Because I think if that's, a lot of people don't realize that, they, don't, they lose track of their own worth. And if they're, if they're taking drugs or they're smoking or they're doing anything that's detrimental to their health, they're not likely to consider stopping if they don't value their own their own well-being, their own worth. So for me, I try and get that into, and, and by doing that, I can also change someone's emotional state if I get them thinking about the people they love and the people that love them. So, and by altering their state, albeit in conversation, they are now, to my mind, open to suggestion. They're open to being influenced and being having their, their mind changed, if you like, the way they think about who they are, what they are and what they're doing. So for me, it's very simple. You know, as I said right at the beginning of this conversation, alter someone's state, alter someone's emotion and give a suggestion. And you can do that just in general conversation if you know what you're doing. We are doing it without knowing what we're doing anyway. If you can do it consciously, then you can influence people and hopefully, you know, your, your reasoning for influence people so that they can have a better life. When we do it formally in the therapy room, then hypnosis, for me, is one of the most powerful tools for change, if not the most powerful tool for change. I say it's not rocket science, but it's as powerful as. That's how I see it. Nice, and it can be nice. changed. We, know, we now know, you know... Um, We've got we've had doctor in in that room in Las Vegas in London where I'm, I'm I'm training people in the Arrow. People around the world are using that technique, and it's so simple. You know, you don't have to be a hypnotist to use it. Well, obviously, we start with hypnosis when we're training people because people come to us because we're hypnotherapists and we teach them hypnotherapy. But the reality of it is, especially with the Arrow, I want everyone to learn that, and I, I want teachers, parents to better use it kids to use it and as i was saying in in the uh, presentation i did in las vegas my son who's now 15 when he was nine he was in a classroom at school and one of his one of the girls in his class had broken an arm she'd been to the hospital she'd had it plastered um had it set she was in class and it was hurting her and she was crying and we were, over, we were at home one evening and we were just eating his dinner his sausage and mash whatever it was and he was just in conversation. He said, Dad, he said, today, you know, I had a girl in school and she was, you'd hurt her arm and she was crying and she said she was in pain. He said, I did that thing you do. <laughs> 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 I did that thing you do with that, you know, that swish sound thing. He said, and, and uh, I took the pain away and carried on eating his sausage and mash as if it was nothing, which it, to him it was. He didn't know that it was anything special, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, and that's the simplicity of that technique. You and don't know it's magic if you have been it. told not to. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. 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 And, you know, yeah. and, and I really I want everyone to learn how to do that. Not just because, you know, it's something we teach, just because I just I want everyone to be able to in a situation where you've got someone in pain, whether it's emotional or physical, 
uh, providing, this is what we say, what my son Anthony and I say when we train people, providing that pain is of no use. If it's of no use, if it's unnecessary, then for whatever reason, this simple technique, which is just purely about imagination, yes, there's some intricate language patterns if you want to look into it but if my nine-year-old can do it without knowing what language patterns are <laughs> then you know anyone can use this technique and and people are using it for healing and it i have no idea why this works jason you mm. know and i'm sure there are people looking into how it works and you know i just as i said to you at the beginning of this conversation i think it's a natural ability and like with a lot of natural things you know even speech we'll never discover how or why that works or why we have the ability to do it. Um, and sometimes we just have to say it's a gift, if you like. <laughs> it's something that nature's given us. And we can study it and find out about it. And there are people that are doing it. I've been doing it for years, trying to figure out how hypnosis works. And it is very interesting. And one day someone might discover it. There's a scenario I'd love to run back to, uh, which is that create the emotion and then give a suggestion. Let, let's talk about mm. the scenario that someone comes in and not to label it in the negative, but they're coming in in the problem state. So they're coming in, they're still holding on to the grief of some uh, relationship that is wrapped up badly. They're there in some sort of stress and fear for uh, the thing that's uh, triggering that that emotion. So how do you handle that scenario of create the emotion then give the suggestion when they're coming in with that problem state very much at its peak? Well, I mean, for me, if someone comes in with, um, you know, like that, that sort of grief of, lo of loss of someone, whether it's someone who's, who's died or whether it's someone who um, they've had a relationship with and they're not in a relationship with anymore, and that still spikes them, the emotion still spikes them. I do have this little technique which I run in the book and because, you know, for me, the art of um, hypnosis, I, I say this, the art part of hypnosis, when we say the art of hypnosis, is being able to paint a picture that will metaphorically say, put this down or let it go or close the door on it. And so, you know, I, in the book, I talk about the, um, the girl on the train saying goodbye. Yes. And it's a very simple technique. You know, one of the questions I ask when people come in and say, you know, I've had I've been in this relationship, I, you know, it's it's done. They've gone. You know, and I ask, is there any chance of getting back together again? Because if someone if in someone's mind, there is still just even a one percent chance of getting back together. They're going to hang on to that one percent. But if they say no, they've gone. I'm never going to see them again. They've remarried or whatever. They moved to a, another country. Then I run that little technique. But, you know, the emotion you're talking about they come in with, then obviously you can use this and you can use that, that emotional state. I worked with a doctor yesterday on the training and he's in um, an emergency, AE we call it over, I think you call it ER over there. Yes. Um, yeah. And people come in, they're already in an emotional state. So they're very open to suggestion. We have a great guy who trained with us in Australia, a guy called Derry Cook. And he's a, again, he works in ER in New Zealand. And he's getting outstanding results. Just he doesn't have to say he's doing any hypnosis. They're already hypnotized. They're already in an altered state. So he just suggests things and he can suggest that the bleeding will slow down. I know this sounds crazy, but your mind is open. It wants it wants to it wants the best for the person. Sometimes just I think it's just giving permission to make a change. Now that now the pain can disappear. You're safe. You're in ER. You know, now the bleeding can stop. I mean, how ridiculous would that be? But Derry Cook has no limits with what he does because he sees it, as I say to people, when we talk about healing, and I never advertise as healing, and I never promise anything with healing, but a lot of people that come to see me are ill because they've been smoking 30 cigarettes for 20 years or 30 mm -hmm. years. They've been drinking too much alcohol. They're eating too much food. They've done things that are detrimental to their health, so they come in already ill. And I never advertise healing, and they normally come and see me for one of those things, that, you know, for smoking or drinking. or. And I say, you know, and they say I'm ill because of it. So I offer what I call quantum healing. And it, it's probably the wrong word because I know it, quantum applies to physics and everything else. But what I say to people in that situation, I'm not going to promise you anything, but it's only words and it's only your imagination. What's, you know, what's the worst <laughs> thing can happen? You can be disappointed. You know, but what if, 
I have no one that said, oh, I don't bother. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they just, and they accept it. And you get changes. And for me, as I said, I say to people, I'm not going to give you any pills or potions. It's just words. It's just your imagination. But for me, as I, I was explaining to this group I was working with yesterday, you cannot imagine something strongly without it affecting you physically. And the way I describe it to my students is I, I, I just say, imagine I've got a lemon in my hand. And I get them to picture that lemon in my hand. I say, imagine I am now cutting through it with a serrated knife. And you can hear the skin crunching. You see the juices starting to flow down my wrist. And watch as I bite into it. And I mimic biting into that lemon. And I say, what's happening in your mouth? And they say, my mouth's salivating. You know, I haven't got a lemon and I haven't got a knife. <laughs> but if you can, you can picture that strongly enough then it will affect you physically. You'll actually produce that saliva in your mouth. You're not doing that consciously. That's an unconscious response to an imagination. So if you take that one step further, and you can imagine in some way the cells reconnecting in your body to do the healing, you can imagine a tumor as a block of ice and the love from your family as the heat from the sun, whatever you want to use your imagination for. Because if you can imagine something strongly, I believe it's going to affect you physically. Um, but as I say, I never promise anyone healing because I'm not a healer. In fact, I, I'm not anything. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. the, that's the big thing about this. I do not do anything. I, I start with the premise that the only person in my therapy room that has the answer to the problem that has the resources to overcome the problem is the person sitting in a therapy chair, not in a therapist chair. <clears throat> or as I said earlier, I think I just act like a catalyst. I I open the door. You know, if you imagine I for some some reason I know the key, I know the combination to the to the lock on that door that that we can open to give them access to their own resources, their own understandings, their own strength, their own skills to overcome the problem. And it's one of those things. You just go, well, here it is. You know, here's the, here's the door. I've opened it for you. Now, what do you want? Take, the, take what you want from it. Yeah, and what's really beautiful about that is you're getting, to, to use the word against itself, you're getting a stronger claim by not actually making the claim. You're engaging their imagination even stronger by having them really engage that imagination even stronger. It, as I said, it's, that's all we have, words and imagination, don't we, as hypnotists? Mm-hmm. You know, some people might carry a swinging watch, and they might have one of those whirly discs thing. But in reality, they're just props. All we have, and that's the joy of being a hypnotist. I can go anywhere in the English-speaking world. In fact, now, you know, Anthony and I have been running training in Brazil, and they do this simul- simultaneous interpretation. You know, we have 150 uh, students in a room, and two interpreters at the back and as we speak everyone's wearing headphones as we speak they speak it's like an echo but in in um brazilian portuguese it's amazing so anywhere where someone can hear me and they can understand me providing i can speak and that's the joy of what i do you know i'm 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 well in my 60s now but i say to people providing they can wheel me in the room and I can speak, <laughs> I can do this job. And that's the joy of it. I don't need any props. I can go anywhere in the world and providing they can understand me, then I can do this work. And that's the joy of it. I don't need anything more than my language, the understanding that the client or the clients, if you're going to do a group of people, already have the resources, already have the answer to the problem. Sometimes I think with hypnosis, all we're doing is getting them out their own way. You know, that little voice is saying, well, you're never going to do it. You can't do it. You know, when I describe um, an induction, a hypnotic induction, I, I, sometimes I do it with my students. I, I sort of um, react it out. I say, imagine when I start the induction, I've got my arm around your shoulder and I'm just talking to you. And we're walking along and I'm just talking to you nicely. And at the end of the room, there's a door. It's got a glass window in it, and I'm walking you slowly towards that door, and then I open the door, and I sort of ease you out <laughs> and then close the door. <laughs> now, I'm alone with your unconscious mind. You can, you can see everything. You can hear anything, but you can't be effective anymore. You know, you're listening, and you're watching, but now I've got access to your unconscious mind. You're outside the door, and you're aware of what's going on. You're aware of what I'm saying, but it's of no longer any consequence. Until I open that door and you come back in, by then – 
the job's done. You know, it's it's that the ceremony of the induction is really just walking the conscious mind out of the door and closing the door on it for a while. It can still hear, it can still see, but it can't interrupt for a while. And then we can get on with some work. It's a simple analogy. But that's how I see it. There's a, there's a phrase that you use that I'd love to elaborate and kind of bring into this conversation of, and it's one that I, I first heard you use it as I interacted with the, uh, with the arrow training and then reiterated throughout the book as well. But just the simple phrase of be brave, to suggest that to a client in part of an intervention. And I've seen you use that various places. Could you expand upon that a bit? Well, I think, you know, as, as human beings, we, we don't like pain. We really don't. And we don't like sometimes looking at our own mistakes and it's painful to think we've done something we've messed up we you know and and so to 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 re to review it and to reassess it you know and that's how i that's how i discuss you know I, i'm not i'm not a believer in regression or regression to cause as a as a as the mainstay of any kind of therapy score i know there are people that do it and people get good results with it it's not for me i mean i just think it's um it's a much cleaner way to move people from where they are to where they want to be, as opposed to dragging back through all the stuff in their life that painful or, or disgusting or they don't want to look at again. But there are there are times when I believe it is an advantage to review that the the, the initial cause, if you like. Um, let's let, the main one I would say is panic attacks. You know, people come and see us with phobias, and they know what they're frightened of. I'm frightened of snakes, spiders, flying needles, whatever it might be. Dentists, doctors. They know what they're afraid of. When people have panic attacks, they have no idea why they're feeling that anxiety, why they're feeling that fear and, and stress and uh, adrenaline rush. They just know they feel it. So in that case, because they don't know and I don't know, I will use what I call the Jacqueline time machine. As I said, most of my stuff's dead simple. I'm a very simple person. I see things simply and I treat people in the same way, um, in a simple way, not that they're simple. <laughs> with simple techniques and the time machine is, is this is because i'm a hypnotist and um I, i've only done a couple of stage things and that was purely to help a magician friend i am mine who, who lacked a bit of confidence and he asked me if i do these stage shows uh, i did enjoy it but my wife pointed out well you know you've got to think about it seriously on friday night you're making people speak alien and on Monday, you're saying, I'm going to help you overcome your heroin addiction. So where do you want to be? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I chose. Though surprisingly, the simplicity of it, I mean, to I, I define my stop smoking process as how deeply uh, into the experience do you have to get to just simply say, okay, look, just do nothing and let it be as easy as that and enjoy yeah. it. Yeah, just, just, you know, just <laughs> yeah. to decide I'm not doing it anymore. You know, so what I'm looking to do, and I, I know – um, I don't know from a, it's different from a sort of business point of view because, you know, the, the simpler it gets, the harder it is to, I, I imagine to create a, a long-term business in as much as I want my clients to, to resolve their problems quickly. You know, it would be lovely if we lived in a world where people paid by the change. <laughs> if we could say, okay, how much would it be worth to you to lose this spider phobia? And get a price from them and then do it that way. But if we're working hourly and we're saying this is how much we charge per session, then from a point of view of getting people over their problems very quickly, it's not a good business model. Um, but on the other hand, and as I said, what I'm working towards is I, th I think it's almost like less to do. It, it, it's almost like getting to the point where there's almost nothing to do, where you could say one word and it would make the difference. You know, I'm not there yet, but, you know, it's getting slowly, uh, slowly getting towards that point where the, the, the changes that you can create become so rapid. And it's not about rapid. Uh, you know, for a long time now in the hypnosis world, it's about rapid inductions, rapid this, rapid change. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, the arrow is something that you can do quickly. But as I say, the value of it does not lie in the speed that you can do it in. This value happens, it just happens to be a technique you can do quite quickly. Um, but I think the less fluff involved and some years ago, I had a girlfriend that was a, that she lectured in fine art. Now, being a Philistine, when it comes to art, she took me to the Tate Modern or whatever it was in London to try and educate me. And uh, there was a big, massive picture on a wall and it was just three blocks of color and it was worth millions. 
and some artist had painted it, some famous artist. And I said, as being a Philistine and being, you know, ignorant of the whole thing, I said, I could paint that. <laughs> Three blocks <laughs> of paint on a, on a bit of canvas. So I could do that, surely. She said, you're missing the point. She said before he painted those three blocks of paint on the on that canvas, he painted this, and she showed me this fine piece of art which could have been a photograph. You know, it was so detailed, it was so beautiful. And what she's saying is, you know, this, what what he's got to there with the colour is sort of the essence. It's it creates an emotion, and that is ultimately what we're trying to do with art. You know, we're trying to create an emotion in someone, and I think with hypnosis. It's a bit like that. That's how I look at it now. I, I try and get to the thing that's going to make the difference as opposed to all the things that might make me look cleverer or more intelligent. Um, the problem we have with making these, making hypnosis more simple, more um, accessible to everyone is that if it's simple to do, and let's put it this way, if it's difficult to do and I can do it, then that makes me somehow cleverer than the person who can't do it. <laughs> if it's simple and everyone mm -hmm. can do it, then where's the value in being a hypnotherapist? You know, it, so it's a, it's a difficult line to walk. And I, I believe so much in the value of hypnosis, but more in, in the fact that you can do this, we're doing it anyway. If you can just teach people how to use it for themselves. In every first session of hypnosis that I, I have with people, hypnotherapy i always show them i always show them how to do self-hypnosis now that might put me out of another session with them because i, I want them to go home and say okay i've got this problem i'm <laughs> going to take myself in hypnosis and i'm going to get rid of it and that's probably what happens is probably why i don't see people very often maybe that or maybe because i talk too much one of the two anyway um but either way i don't see clients <laughs> more than a few times so I want people to be able to do this for themselves. You know, I want my kids to be able to do it. I want, you know, everyone to do it. Kelly, um, yeah, Kelly T. Woods and myself, we've, we've, she's been doing things for kids for years. And back in, I think it was 2006, I was in Kent and I, I ran a course for parents. Um, teaching parents how to use simple hypnotic techniques to enhance their kids' lives to give them that bit of an edge when it comes to their exams and, you know, things like covert anchoring, which you think, well, that's, that's quite a big thing to teach someone who's not a hypnotherapist or not a hypnotist. But to teach parents how to do that, and, and the BBC picked it up and they made this film about it. It was a, a news thing about this hypnotist who was teaching parents how to use simple hypnotic techniques for their kids. I'll call it potent cheroot. And Kelly and I are going to be integrating this with what she does to run run it again, you know, uh, uh, for parents. Anyway, you were talking a little while ago about uh, the simplification of the the time machine. So when we're talking about emotion and and going back and um, if you're like eliminating negative emotion with the time machine, it's as simple as this. I just say to my client, they're already hypnotized. So as far as I'm concerned, if you're hypnotized, if you see someone on stage, that's how I got through to talking about stage. So I'm going on, 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 off on a bit of a tangent. But when you're on stage and you hypnotize someone, you don't say in a moment the music will start and you'll imagine you're Elvis Presley. You actually say in a moment the music will start, you are Elvis Presley and you'll get up and sing. And they believe they are Elvis Presley. So when I do the time machine, being a hypnotist, I say, this is how, this is how simple it is for me. I say, that chair you're in is a time machine. In a moment, I'll click my fingers and you're going to get sucked back through time as if time doesn't exist. Back to the very first moment that relates to this problem. But you're going to go back with all the strength you have now as a man, all the understandings you have now as a father, as an adult. And you're going to go back and you're going to review it and reassess it. I'm not talking about regressing back to the child and feeling the pain again. I'm talking about going back as you are now. And that's when you ask that question. I say, be brave, because this is the last time it's going to affect you. Nobody wants to go and have a look at it again. So I say, be brave. It's the last time it's going to affect you. And it's also the opportunity to get in a very big direct suggestion. I generally turn my head to the side when I say the words, it's the last time it's going to affect you. So I say, get ready. And I get a bit of anticipation. I click my fingers and I say, in a moment, you're going to see it. 
you remember where you were, remember you were with. Now drop down beside that younger you, put your arm around them and walk them through it. Tell them what they need to know for them to be the best person they can be, the best man they can be, the best woman they can be. If I have a client in my room that I know, we've had that discussion, they've told me they've got daughters or sons or whatever, I say, tell them about the man she's going to meet and love. Tell them about the beautiful children she's going to have. You know, how good would it be for all of us to be able to go back to our 13 or 14-year-old self who had all those doubts and all those fears and all those anxieties and go back and say, look, this is what's coming up, Jason. <laughs> You're going to be teaching people mm-hmm. all over the world how to use hypnosis. You're going to be changing people's lives, Jason. If you could go back to your 13-year-old self and tell him about the life he's got coming up, the woman he's going to love, the kids he's going to have. You know, when he's going through that moment, and that's how I see the time machine. He's just going to go back, reassess it, take the learnings from that event, store them in that part of our mind that's there for the learnings, then let go of the negative emotion. Tell, the ch- tell that child, I say child, but I always say tell the younger you, because I don't know where they're at, tell the younger you what they need to know to be the best man they can be. And are you doing this in a, uh, let's say, a mutual, yeah, doing it in a mutual communication or just kind of directing them to do the work inside? No, direct. I never have my clients talk to me. I do have, I do have, yes. when we, you know, I use parts, what I call parts negotiation in which we have unconscious communication. But in the time machine, it's just straight there. I'm just assuming they're back there. And for whatever reason, they, they're there. And they're not, they, they, but in my mind, and it's only in my mind, I don't know what's going on in their mind, obviously. In my mind, they're back there as they are now, as they're sitting in my chair at the age they are now, with the understandings they have now, and and just guiding their, that younger you and walking them through that event, you know, and telling them, they, and at the end of it, they say, tell them they, that you survived it, thank them for going through it for you, give them a hug, say goodbye, step over that line into your future, turn around, see that kid with a smile on his face waving goodbye as you free them forever, close the door behind you. That is what my what my version of a regression would be. And it's as long as I've just told Beautiful, you. Yeah. It's no longer than that. It's not weeks. It's not months. It, it's in the same time as I've spoken about it. It's the time that it takes me to do it. So that's that that phrase, you know, be brave. It's the last. And the reason I use it in the arrow as well, you'll hear it in the arrow technique. In a moment, you're going to go through that target. You know, and, and people say, why do you make them suffer? I say, you're going to feel that pain more intensely for a split second. But be brave. And it's only reason I've put that in that technique is to get this massive direct suggestion in. It's the last time it's ever going to affect you. Well, I mean, it's the same as the people who would even just make use of like a control room metaphor of to temporarily make the discomfort a little bit worse, which is thereby proving control of it. But I love that little frame of be brave, uh, which is going to it's going to indirectly suggest they're going to actually experience that thing. But then you'll immediately go into that place of bliss where that cannot exist anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and that, that phrase, you know, when they come out and they've, you've done it and say, you know, try and find it and find you cannot. You know, as we know, as hypnotists, we know the word try implies failure. You know, so you, you, it's, it seems innocuous when you say it. You know, try and find it, find you cannot. Where's it gone now? You know, and they're looking, they're searching. And in that moment, when they open their eyes and you ask them that question, and they can't feel it. And then you say, try and find it. Find you cannot. That job's done. You know, and then you can just, it's, it's, it's so beautiful as far as I'm concerned. You know, the simplicity of the time machine to go back to the, to the initial event and do it as you are now. You know, not go back, you know, regress back to the child. You know, see what you saw then, feel what you felt then. Why would you do that to anyone? You know, and, and if you are about it as a child, do you really have any more understanding than you do now? But if you would, if you could go back as you are now and reassess it and review it, take the learnings from it, you know, walk the child through it, tell them what they need to know and tell them what they got coming up. That's the joy of what I think, you know, to be able to say to, your, say to that child, you know, you're going to meet this woman. You know, and, and, you know, you're going to be like the story you told me, you know, and uh, I love that story. You know, it took me a month or whatever else to even speak to her. And then you're married to her and now you've got these beautiful kids and you've got this beautiful life. You know, if you could go back to your younger you when you were 13 and 14 or whatever age it was when you were struggling and wondering what your life was going to be and wondering if you were going to make it to 20 
and then walk that child through that process and just say, just, you know, give them a hug, thank them for going through it for you and then say goodbye. And I always say, you know, step over that line into your future, turn around, see that child with a smile on their face, waving goodbye as you free them forever and close the door behind you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's how I run my, what I would call regression, <laughs> even though it's, you know, it's not regression. It's just a review. It's a, re it's a reassessment. Beautiful, beautiful. So for me, you know, these, these techniques don't take long and I don't want my clients to suffer. But at certain times when I think they're going to have to, they're going to have to, it's that moment of pulling the thorn out of your foot. You know, you have to look at it for a moment to get that thorn out. And it isn't going to be nice. But once it's out, then it can start to heal. It's that moment. Be brave. Have a look at it. It's the last time it's going to affect you. Which I think even to model some of those themes for those people who are, let's say, making use of the regress to cause model it's not so much as the where it came from it's the uh it's the resurrection out of it so to look at the amount of time that's spent in the session it should be done in that rebuilding phase it should be done on that uh that strengthening phase as opposed to and what else happened and how did you feel what else just that simple phrase of be brave you'll experience it for just a brief moment yet then it'll be the last time i'm, I'm curious to ask this theme of removing the fluff to rewind part of your story back uh, what was that career path? What was that focus before hypnosis popped into into the into the uh, dialogue here? Sorry, so in what in, in what respect? Oh, the fluff. Oh, the fluff. What? Uh, what? Yeah. Well, I mean, in terms of just your your origin story, getting into all of this, what career path were you on before getting into hypnosis? I was I was in sales. I had my own sales company, and um, you know, I, and and again, even in sales, part of that for me was communicating. And knowing that, you know, half a dozen salespeople have been in before you and and and, and winning that sale <laughs> through your own personality, your own, because, you know, most of the products are pretty much the same. What makes someone buy from you from, from someone else? You know, and I think it's said, that, you know, that they make a decision in the first four seconds. And I think part of that, and I think it's partly why I'd like to think I'm successful as a hypnotherapist, is because I am absolutely myself. You know, you know, it says it does what it says on the tin. That's who I am. You know, it's, I don't change my voice mm -hmm. and I don't mm -hmm. I don't change my personality. I, I am who I am. And, you know, I know from a, from the American point of view, when people I think it was Scott Grossberg said to me, you know, he likes my accent, but apparently he, he doesn't know I've got a London accent. If you're American, it's an English accent and that's it. Um, but I have got quite a strong London accent. And so I remember a woman came down to see me. She'd seen my picture in the paper. She'd seen the advertisement. And she said, uh, it was so nice to find that you're just an ordinary geezer, you know, which, <laughs> 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 um, which I thought was quite funny, really. But, you know, I know what she meant. And, you know, I'm just who I am. And, uh, and I love what I do. And I'd like to think that, that that love for what I do, the passion I feel for it, um, comes over. And... You, you know, we all have it. I, I've, I've seen people who have smoked and then they cut, they quit and they, uh, some of them start smoking again. And when they phone me up, they apologize. And which is a very strange thing to think really, because they paid me money to do a job. You know, if someone came around and did your plumbing for you and the tap was still leaking and you wouldn't phone them up and apologize to the plumber, you know, you just, but yet they apologize. Now <laughs> I can only imagine it's because when they were with me, they absolutely knew that I wanted them to be free. I wanted the best for them. And I can't imagine any other reason why people would phone me up and say, I'm sorry, but I started smoking again. Or I'm sorry, but, you know, whatever. And I think, I'd like to think it's because of that. You know, I want my clients to be well. And what I say to my students, and whether this is true or not, whether it actually works or not, whether it has any effect or not, I say, hold this in your heart. It's, it's just a simple thing to do. When you're working with your client, just hold the thought in your heart, I care about you and I want you to be well. Sometimes I'll actually say it, but I'll always think it. And I, I just think that makes a difference. Someone said it's the difference between giving someone a hug and a pat on the back. You know, it's that different, it's just a different way of, of approaching things. And we can find, you know, we, we're working with lots of different people, lots of different personalities, you can generally find something within that person that you can feel that for, you know, and just hold that in your heart 
I care about you. I want you to be well. If you think it's appropriate to say it, say it, but always feel it. And I think that makes a difference. You know, um, that's just the way I work. Which is something that, you know, to be genuine with that, to actually really, truly feel that as opposed to something you just turn on. And I'd share that, you know, the dialogue of going to various trainings and conventions over the years, we'd hear the person who says, well, I only see but this many number of clients a day. And it's not because of their running a schedule with other things, but it's that, well, people come in with their problems and that just wears you down to which when I hear that, it's the it's the opposite of that sentiment that you just expressed that to go into your session with that care and see them as the result and it becomes this this fun adventure the two of you bringing them along for the ride and see them as the result you can walk out during the end of the day and have just as much energy as you walked in with yeah i mean i i just think you know someone i said it, i said it the other day i heard it from someone else so it's not even my words but there you know when we talk about normal economics you know, when you, if you have if you have something and you give some of it away, you have less of it. And if you give it all away, you have none of it. But the opposite is it, it, when you're talking about love and kindness, the opposite occurs. The more you give away, the more you seem to get. And it's just it's it goes against the law of economics. You know, it's the one commodity <laughs> can give up, give of it. It comes back fivefold, tenfold. And I, I don't, you must feel the same way. You know, the people that care about you and love you, you know, because you are, you are, you know, the people in our world of hypnosis, and I say our world of hypnosis, the whole world, but people who know you and work with you and, and, and whose lives you've enhanced with your understanding, business sense and hypnotherapy and therapy sense, you know, that stuff comes back to you. If you're, let me, let me give you an example of what happened once. I used to do these mass groups for smoking. I'll talk about mass, 200 people at a time. Um, in 2006, I, I saw 5,000 people for smoking. And I did one in, in quite near to where, where I live now, actually, in the city of Hull. And it was overbooked. So the room held 200 people. So I had to book the next night because we had about 350 people booked. On the first night, a woman came in and she went home and she quit smoking. The next night, she came back again with her husband. And he just sat at the back of the room. He paid the money. He sat at the back of the room. And, and he didn't look interested at all. Anyway, I went through a whole thing. Afterwards, he came up to me. He said, look, he said, I'm, I, I do these one-day sales where I advertise a 42-inch TV. Then I sell them a Hoover. <laughs> <laughs> he said, oh, I looked around the room. He said, and you're charging 65 pounds a time. And there's 200 people in here. I've added it up. And it's 13,000 pounds. It takes you an hour and a half to do this therapy. I can see this is a really good business. I want to learn how to do it. And this is what he said. He said, I'm not interested in helping oh, people. Yeah. <laughs> Teach me. To, this is serious. This is what he said. Teach me the words and the music. He said, and I can do this. He said, I'm not interested in helping people. And his wife said, you're missing the point. And she must have understood. If all you're thinking about in the therapy room is the money sitting in a chair, Seriously, if you're thinking that, you're not, you, they'll pick it up. Even if they don't pick it up in a normal, what I call normal weight, walking about conscious state, when you're in hypnosis, all your senses are heightened. All your senses. If you open your eyes, you probably better see better. You better hear better. So the, the, un, the, the instinctive um, feelings are also heightened. And if you pick it up, if the person doesn't care about you, they're not really worried about whether you get a result or not. They're only thinking about how many people they can get in that chair. They're not going to be as successful. I'm sure some people will still quit smoking. But I just feel holding that thought in your heart, I care about you, I want you to be well, transfers over. And even if that's it, you're hypnotizing 200 people, hold that thought and you get better results. That's just my feelings on it. Beautiful. And there's a, there's a story from the book I'd love to chat about that – it, that we find ourselves in these moments where, yes, there's a whole dialogue in a, in a Facebook group right now about is it appropriate to take on this client with this history or someone calls you and says something that uh, is medically related, what's the scope of practice? And there's a previous session we had in the program a couple of weeks back on that. Um, though you had a story of uh, working with somebody in such a situation where you discovered you were already there in the space, and that's where you made the discovery you were in too deep, the uh, the John and Emily story. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, that was just very scary. In fact, the question came up yesterday in this little um, – group thing that I did yesterday you know you know about people about psychosis 
um, about people who, who, who are schizophrenic. And it, I was very, that was very early on in my career. And I was, at that point, I, was, I, was, I like to think I was a lot more naive than I am now. Um, and, I, and, and I had no, next to no clients, so <laughs> I would take on anyone. And I didn't know. And could you briefly, uh, could you briefly re- recap it for those who haven't read yeah, the book? Yeah, I mean, I, I, a, a girl came to see me and asked if I'd see her brother. And she said that her brother was in bed. He'd been in bed for three days. And uh, he wouldn't get out of bed. So, you know, and a mother was really worried about him. Would I go and see him? So I did. I went to his room and I went to his bedroom. And I, he, first thing he said was, you can't help me. And I said, well, you know, fine. You know, I'm only here to offer my help. He said, there are people in this room you cannot see. There are people around you you cannot see. And um, I could, you, they're speaking to me and you cannot hear them. So I had long been studying a bit of NLP and meeting people at the model of their world. And so I said, well, look, you know, there are dogs that can hear things that I can't hear. And there are birds that can see things I can't see. There, is, there are sounds that are below my hearing ability. And there are, there are things that are too small for me to see. It doesn't mean they don't exist. Just because you can see it and I can't see it doesn't mean that, you know, that, that, that it's unreal. So straight away, I stepped over his side of the line, and now he's going, okay, well, maybe, you know, he's not saying I'm mad. <laughs> he's saying maybe this could be true. So I, so I said, look, if you want me to help you, I'll, I'll hypnotize. He was in bed anyway. So, you know, I said, look, all I ask you is close your eyes and listen to my voice. Anyway, we had this bit of time. He opened his eyes. I said, how do you feel yourself? I feel great. I said, well, if you feel really good, get out of bed and go make your mum a cup of tea because she's been worried about it for days. So you can imagine a look on these two women's face when, I, when he comes down the stairs with a smile on his face and makes them a cup of tea and been out of bed for three days. So only a couple of weeks later, she phones me up. The, his sister phones me up. Could I see him again? I said, yes, but I'm not coming to his house. He'll have to come to me. So he came to my office. And luckily at the time, I used to work behind a desk. I don't do that anymore. But I had a desk and uh, I used to have a couch because of my first initial entry into hypnosis was hypnoanalysis. So that point you'd lay him out on a couch so he came in a room and, and he his sister left and said i'll be back in such and such a time and then he started to look to one ear and he's like nodding his head as having a conversation and he said emily says not to talk to you <laughs> <laughs> so i'm looking around the room to see where emily is you know but of course she's, she's only in his head then he turns to the other ear and um he, he takes another expression on his face and then he turns back and he said, John says, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then he goes into this voice, this horrible voice. No one's heard this voice before. Now do you know? And I am pooing myself behind the desk. You know, this guy's got his knuckles on my desk. His spit will coming out of his mouth. Eyes bulging out of his head. He's leaning over the desk towards me in this voice that's come from somewhere close to hell. You know, and, it, and, I, and I'm sitting there thinking, what do I do? You know, it's very, very scary. And then he turned to the left ear again and he went, and then he went back into Emily's voice. You know, Emily says not to frighten you. You know, you're not a bad person. I know you're only trying to help. Whatever it was he said at the time. But, you know, and I just I just sat there. And then he said, Emily says, well, I, I should listen to you. So I, I thought I've got to get out of this somehow. So I said, well, lay on a couch, lay on a couch, did some hypnosis with him. And then, you know, his sister came and picked him up and, uh, oh, you know, I went home and changed my trousers. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it was close to it. You know, it was pretty scary. And what I said to this girl yesterday in this room when we were having this group session was I said, you know, we deal with neurosis, not psychosis. And you've got to know what your limits are as a hypnotherapist, as a lay person. If you're a psychiatrist, fine. If you're a psychologist, maybe. But as lay people, as people, if you're not a doctor, if you, you know, you're just trained in hypnosis, understand where your limits are. And we deal with neurosis and psychosis. And you need to know the difference between those two things. And if you think this person looks, you'll know anyway if someone's psychotic, just hold your hands up and say it's beyond my remit. Um, but I learned mm. that the hard way, you know, and it can be, it was very scary and it can be very scary for people. Um, that doesn't mean, you know, because as hypnotherapists, we, we want to help everyone, don't we? We think we can help everyone as well. That's the problem. We think I've got this great tool. I'm sure I can help them. Um, but the other side of that is I always work in my first session with parts negotiation. Well, if you're working with a schizophrenic and you start talking about parts of them, straight away you're in very, very dangerous ground. So 
you have to be aware of what your level of ability is, if you like, and keep yourself safe. That's what I'd say. But yeah, it was a was a very scary moment for me. So yeah. So in general, I mean, in terms of moving the profession forward, in terms of advancing our skills, and I, I really appreciate, I live by, I think it's the Mark Twain quote of, I didn't have time to write a short letter, so I wrote a long one instead, that by by letting the process become more direct, and it's not for the sake of speeding it up and getting the next person in the door, it's that as we sand away, as you call it, the fluff, the work becomes much more direct and it also allows the person to do the work really in their own time, in their own place. If you had to make just a suggestion in terms of style, in terms of uh, what needs to happen to move things forward in this profession, what would that possibly be? Well, to move it forward, we'd have to, you know, we do need more research. You know, with with the, the thing I'm working with with pain, it is so effective. And I'm not just saying it because I'm using it and because I'm teaching it. <clears throat> and yet the NHS will not accept it as, as a tool to work with because, one, you know, the word hypnosis is a bit of a sticking point. And, two, there's no research. You know, there's no – we need pr- professions to say, okay, let's take, you know, 200 smokers – and we put another 200 on patches and we put another two people, 200 on willpower alone and 200 on, on any hypnotherapy protocol for smoking and see what the results are. We know as hypnotherapists we're going to get the better results. Um, but, you know, it's got to be um, systematic, hasn't it? And then you're reading a script and really reading a script. All those, you know, there are people out there that do it and get good results. Each person is going to read that differently. So it's very hard to get consistency when it comes to research. You know, is how much of it is the hypnotherapist's personality affecting it? How much are the words you're saying? How much is the actual technique affecting it? But until that happens, you know, it's very difficult. And that's that's what's going to move it on. We've got a guy over here in England. You know him, Adam Eason. You know, he's a brilliant yes. man. He's absolutely fantastic. Now, he, he's, doing, he's, he's doing a doctorate. I think it's the first doctorate in clinical hypnosis. We need people like him to move this on for it to become accepted in the medical world. I know there are things like IBS, which the NHS say, yes, hypnotherapy is good for IBS. But there are so many other things. Um, But, yeah, in in terms of what's going to move this on in the profession, one, it's going to be stopping the list of the things that people think they can do with it. You know, hypnosis for growing your hair hypnosis for enlarging your breasts you know all the time we're connected you know to things and i'm not saying that can't happen but i'm saying if once you know if people are looking from a professional point of view the things we know are of a real value helping people out of pain helping people out of fear helping people overcome habitual behaviors uh overcoming drug problems they're real powerful tools uh, for help with people um it's, it's difficult to know what's going to move it. I mean, I'd like to know what you think, really. What do you think is going to move it? Yeah, I think, I, I think in terms of uh, growing community, I'd say really allowing the process to be one that we can look at things without the polarized opinions. I think that there's a lot of stuff that's been out there that uh, has become a little bit more of a marketing message as opposed to an honest opinion of uh, this technique is good, this technique is bad instead to look at things more of the case study of here's how I made this strategy more effective in this specific situation. So a greater dialogue in terms of the flexibility as opposed to protocols and strategies, you know, being put up against each other, that it's the actual practitioner. It's, it's what you it's what you mentioned in terms of being in the room and really being present with the client and then using those techniques to then transcend that conversation and get that change in motion. Yeah, as I said, I I think this is very simple. I think I think to to initiate change in someone is very simple, um, and but I think there's a lot of the people that are very precious of their techniques, very precious of their their school of hypnotherapy. You know, this is the way we do it, and there's no other way. It's you know my you know what is that, they say my road or the other road or whatever it might be you know it's <laughs> it's it, in my way of the highway that's the saying isn't it you know and and i think you know look at if you have the time to look at what people are doing and do things that fit with you because not every not not my technique might not fit with your personality if it feels comfortable if you th- can say this honestly if you can say these words honestly 
then say them. If you don't believe them, just because it's a technique, don't just run it. You know, you have to, I think you have to believe what you're doing for it to be effective. Um, and as I said, there's lots of people that are very precious about their school, their method. And I just think, you know, get out there and learn as much as you can. If you think this looks good, not, it's something I can use and it fits with my personality. I can say these words honestly and it, it might enhance my client's life. Then you have a duty of making it, of trying it and doing it. Uh, that's how I see it. You know, you shouldn't say, well, that's Ericksonian and I don't do Ericksonian hypnotherapy. That's regression. So I don't do that kind of work. You know, get over yourself and do what, it, at the end of the day, it's not about you. It's not about the therapist. It's about the client. Whatever, if you've got something that I think is going to help my client, I'm going to learn it off you. I'm going to ask you how you do that because ultimately I want to be the best I can be for my client. And it's not about me. It's really not. You know, um, yes, I think to some extent we get personalities in our business, don't we? We get big personalities and they draw people in and – and if it draws people into this business and more people get into it and more people learn the stuff, great. But it's never about the individual. It's never about this person, this technique. There are better narrators. There are better teachers. Um, but for me, as I said, it, whatever works for my client, I'm going to use it. I mean, especially to have as the trainer's perspective, that level of humility to say, I used to do it this way. I used to teach it this way. And now here's the way that I do it instead. And I'm finding a better result. And here's both schools of thought, you know, modify the two for whatever's going to fit best for you. Yeah. I mean, I, I maybe take my simplicity back to my days of coaching boxing. You know, we used to get guys in the gym, and I, I know you go to the gym, and I don't know if you probably do martial arts, don't you? Do you do martial arts? Uh, no, I don't. I'm a strictly weightlifter these oh, days. Oh, all right. Okay. Well, you know, you get people in the gym, and they look really good on the bags. They're really fancy footwork. They're great skippers. You know, they can do all that stuff. And if you want to film someone in the gym, you're going to film that person. But in the ring, and I'm sure Gary, Gary Smiler-Turner will, will maybe correct me or, make, or agree with me on this. What you're trying to do in there is do it in the shortest period of time. You know, you want to take the guy out in the shortest period of time. You know, it, why dance around and do these different kinds of kicks and punches if you can get a punch to the chin? And it's a bit like that in my therapy room. I'm not talking about knocking my client out, but I'm talking about getting to the point and getting the job done as quickly as possible without all the fancy stuff, which might make you look incredible. But in truth, you know, ultimately they want to go out free of their problem. And they, they'd like to do that as quickly as possible. As much, you know, nice it's to sit and talk to you for an hour and a half. You know, if you can do this in 10 minutes with me, Freddie, great, do it, because I've got things to do. Um, you know, and, and if I can find that one punch, as opposed to all the fancy stuff that goes around it, before I land that one punch, then I'm going to go straight for the punch. And it, that's how I see the way I work. You know, if I can do it quickly, not because of the speed, but purely because if it can be done in a certain period of time, I'm not about to drag it out for any other reason. That's just how I see what I do. Outstanding. Freddie, it's been awesome having you on here. Uh, where can people track down your information online? Um, FreddieJackwin.com is my website. Um, Anthony and myself, we run the Jackwin Hypnosis Academy. Uh, if you want to come and train with us and, you know, learn, we, we run a diploma course teaching and teaching all the things we do. Um, there's the arrow technique. If you want to learn, just learn the arrow. You can buy that online. It's a two, two and a half hour online training with me and Anthony. Um, yeah, that's about it, really. The arrow technique, anthonyjackwin.com um, as well. You know, my son, you know him. You know, he's a brilliant man. He's a brilliant therapist. And obviously, he's my son. So I'm going to say that, even though it is true. I'm lucky enough to travel with him and we bounce ideas off each other. We develop stuff together. And hopefully, you know, we've got other things in the pipeline. I've, we're just developing this thing called a Jack Quinn uh, Total Perception Management, which is about being able to switch off an emotion with the snap of your thumb, which I'm going to be teaching in New York in the HypnoBiz thing. Um, 
Yeah, so I'm lucky to be traveling. And so it's freddyjackwin.com if you want to go to my website, anthonyjackwin.com if you go to Anthony's website. He does stuff as well as the therapy, he does the street hypnosis and the mentalism. So he adds another level of hypnosis to it. And then it's the Jackwin Hypnosis Academy if you'd like to come and train with us. But thanks for having me on. It's been great speaking to you. I look forward to seeing you in London in a few weeks uh, where we can catch up. So, yeah, thanks again for letting me speak. Jason Lynette here once again. And as always, thank you so much for leaving your reviews online, for sharing this program on your social media streams, and head over to Amazon as well as Audible to pick up Freddie's new book, Hypnotherapy, and also check out hypnoticbusinesssystems.com. There's no need to reinvent the wheel in terms of growing your successful hypnosis business, and I've got the roadmap to help you do it. Check that out, hypnoticbusinesssystems.com. See you on the inside. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast at WorkSmartHypnosis.com. Smart Hypnosis.com.